Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Buddhang Dhammang Sanghang Namasami This evening I'm going to talk some more about meditation about Jitta Viveka, Jitta Bhavana. Jitta Viveka is the Pali word for the seclusion of the mind, for the aloneness of the Jitta. Jitta Bhavana is that development which leads to the uncovering of the mind and to its, as it were, freeing of that mind. In the Pali we always have that beautiful simile of the full moon coming out from behind the clouds. There's a radiant, beautiful, uh, alone moon just there in the sky. And this is the uh, development of the meditation you can uh, call this meditation the way of uh, discovering this thing we call the jitta as it is buried under these layers of uh, sensory impressions these layers of thoughts and these layers of of chedana, of will all of these have to be put aside so that we can understand exactly what this jitta is and as far as insight is concerned, the insights which will liberate you from samsara, they will all depend on uncovering and understanding this thing we call the jitta, the, as it were, the linchpin which holds everything together, the keystone of the arch of the five khandhas, so that in order to gain an understanding of what the Lord Buddha was talking about, or the Aryas talk about, the reaching this stage of, a, of knowing the jitta is so important. And the only way to know that, as you've heard me say many times, is like developing jhanas. And it's that last uh, few steps to uh, develop that jhana and uncover the jitta which is what I want to talk about this evening. I've talked about many of the preliminary steps of uh, developing these quiet and peaceful stages of of mind which uh, get you very close towards that which we call jhanas. And this evening I want to talk about those last few steps. And again, please never think that this talk does not apply to you. If you are not so close 
or rather you think you're not so close, don't be so sure. And sometimes you don't know until you've gone over into the jhanas how close you were. And if you are a long way away because your development of meditation is not that uh, strong and deep yet, even so this talk is for you as well because it is the nature of the mind to to gather in important pieces of information, to store them as it were. And when it's the right time, those pieces of information will be of great benefit to you, that they will help you and lead you to make that last step into the jhanas. But uh, please understand that when I talk about jhanas, they should not be looked upon as, as attainments as much as stages of letting go. These are all steps on the path of abandoning, giving away, uh, allowing things to go to cessation. It is the natural uh, tendency of these uh, parts of the five candors. It's a, nat- it's a natural tendency of all that make up this body and mind to go to cessation. Only we do not allow it to do so. And we keep it going on, we fuel it, we keep on, as it were, throwing logs into the fire. And that's why that these things, they don't become cool, they don't cease, they don't stop. When you understand this process of meditation, especially that which leads into jhanas as depending upon very profound and complete letting go, then you have perhaps the most important key to attain these stages. Because you should always uh, reflect wherever you get to in your meditation, sort of what is there left to abandon? What else can you throw away? What else can you let go of? Because the path of Chitta Bhavana is a path of unloading burdens, not taking on more. And sometimes it takes a lot of wisdom to be able to see the burdens one is carrying. And as soon as you see that burden, take it off. And you go that deeper into the the stages of meditation. In particular, in the first few talks, I talked about I talked about developing this stage of like full awareness of the breath. Even at this stage, the full awareness of the breath, from the very beginning to the end of each breath, beginning to the end of each in breath, to be able to do it with ease rather than with force, needs a lot of abandoning a lot of letting go. You can get there by force, but that is not sufficient. That is just like a holding of the the meditation object. It is accompanied with tension in the mind, and it never gives rise to that sense of ease, that beauty, that happiness, that bliss, of full attention on the breath. If you will get to that stage, but there's no happiness there, there's no bliss there, there's no feeling of delight there. 
then try letting go. Just even saying that word and see what happens. One of the skillful means which I use at every stage of this meditation in order to facilitate that letting go is the the act of giving confidence to the meditation object, giving trust, giving faith, whether it's giving faith to the breath or giving faith to the nimitta or even giving faith to the jitter itself. That is something which I do as a, a deliberate act of mind, a deliberate intention. Because I find that when you give faith to something else, you're taking away the responsibility of this thing inside which I call the doer, the driver, the manipulator, the controller. It's that above all which needs to be abandoned in this path of meditation, the doer, the controller. Again, this path of meditation is a natural process. If one can get out of the way and just allow the contentment, allow the stillness, allow the the settled state to grow and grow and grow, then the jhanas would happen of themselves with you just being a bystander watching all of this. As you get deeper in the meditation, the more you have to just stand back and just watch. And that uh, skillful means of giving or offering confidence to the, the object in your mind really helps to stop this thing of controlling, ordering. Sometimes in your meditation, you think you're not getting that far. Sometimes there's blockages, sometimes there's hurdles. That's the time just to, to don't try so hard. Don't have the, the aspiration to be anywhere other than where you are right in this moment. Don't try and change anything. Because all of that aspiration to be somewhere else, that changing what's already here now, that is all the doer, the controller, the maker, the doer. That is the obstacle there. And that is what needs to be abandoned. This doer, this controller, is such a hard thing to abandon because it's hard to see in the first place. It seems to be behind all of action and never really shows its face. As if it's behind the doors, but never really in the room of your mind. But there are ways and means of stopping this doer. You may not be able to see it yet, but you can know it by its results. Always messing up the tranquility and peace which you have, never allowing yourself to go deeper, to go further. And again, by giving confidence to the object of your meditation, or giving uh, trust is a very good word because what trust is it's giving permission for the doer to just to stop to cease so you give trust into this process 
Remember at this stage also, these stages of meditation, that doer can manifest as what I sometimes call the assessor, always trying to figure out where you are and how much more of the journey you have to go. Always judging, measuring. That measurer, again, is just a function of the doer. It's the chattering of the doer. In whatever stage of the meditation you are in, that is good enough. Give confidence to the process, by which I mean that this process will work at its own rate, not at the rate which you want it to go. By trusting in the process, you stop all of the assessing, you stop all of the measuring, until the very end of the meditation. Sometimes when I talk like this, people think, they have to remember all of these little tricks and instructions. And by trying to remember them, they just uh, clog the mind up with more things to do. This is not the way that you should practice meditation. Allow these instructions just to sink in and then forget about them. They will come up automatically at the right time and the right place. A person who knows meditation, who knows a jitter, just knows how malleable it is and how it can be uh, guided through such suggestion. The jitter is a conditioned thing, it's a sankhara. And as such, you should know that how you can work with this jitter. By giving it these suggestions and trusting that the jitter will use them at the right time and the right place. And indeed, that's what happens in my meditation anyway. As you're meditating along this path into the deep still states, there comes times when that the right tool pops up into the mind automatically and watching this whole process you know that it's not coming from you you know this is coming from the past from past insights from past teachings from past teachers echoing down the generations that's where it's coming from and it comes at the right time if you allow it to happen and don't dis and don't uh, interfere. This is why that you can trust in this process of meditation. Allow these little techniques just to sink in. Forget about them and just to your amazement just watch as they come up at the right time, at the right place. To develop that contentment, that stillness, that satisfaction in where you are. This is what deepens the meditation. Even if it's just the first stage of just awareness of the present moment, just to have satisfaction in that much is the fastest way to get to the next stages. And in particular when you get to such stages as the full awareness of the breath, don't go around searching for nimittas. 
Don't go around expecting them. When is this going to happen? What are the nimittas? What shape are they going to be? Are they going to be light nimittas? Are they going to be feeling nimittas? Oh, when will my nimitta come? Just forget all of that and just attend just to the, the breath which is in the mind in this very moment. You're trying to unburden yourself with, with more concerns, with more things to do, with duties. You're not trying to gain jhanas, you're trying to abandon, to let go, to gain stillness, to develop peace. And jhanas come by themselves. Before I've given a simile of how to develop jhanas, about the simile of developing a very beautiful room. It's as if your mind is that beautiful room and your job, your task is just to make that room as spotless, as tidy and as attractive as possible. To make it spotless through your virtuous conduct that you never say anything by body, speech. So you never do anything by body, say anything through speech, or even think anything by mind, which is unskillful, harmful, which is full of lust or desire. All those things make sure that you, you don't do in order to make your room spotless. They have that simile in the Majjhima of the stick which is in the river and the stick which is still wet but on the bank and the stick which is dried out because it's been a long way from any moisture for a long time. It's only that third stick which is dry on the outside and there's not, no sap on the inside. That's the stick which will take the fire. That's the mind which will easily gain jhana. When your mind has been taken out from the stream of sensuality and taken a long way from that stream, far enough away, not just from a physical sensuality, but even from mental thoughts of sensuality, fantasies, all that stuff, long since abandoned, so much so that the mind dries out from sensuality, like the stick a long way from the riverbank. And that stick easily takes a fire. That mind is like a mind which is a very beautiful room in which the jhanas would love to come. Because it's been so long since sensuality has been in that room, there is no smell or odour of those states lingering. And make the mind make the, the mind, the room of the mind, just very well set up, very orderly and tidy, very peaceful. So there's no not many things going on in there. Not a noisy room full of thoughts, full of ideas, full of plans, full of things to do. Make it a very simple room, not crowded with lots of junk. That's why that the simile of the room I've used before is a way of looking at how much stuff you have in there. 
and taking it all away to some second-hand shop or some charity shop and giving it to someone else who can make better use of it. All the things which you keep in your mind, all the bric-a-brac, the rubbish, the second-hand goods, all of that just empty and take away. The less you have in your room, the more likely jhanas are to come in. And set in that room, set out some nice sandwiches, some cakes, some tea, some coffee, or fruit juice, or whatever. In that mind, set up some happiness and joy. And if that mind is spotlessly clean, if that mind is very peaceful and free from disturbances, if that mind has happiness in a simile, standing from the tea, coffee, the cakes, refreshments, then jhanas will come in by themselves. You don't need to go out into the street and try looking for them and grabbing them by the arm and try to pull them in. Visitors will come in by themselves to a beautiful room which is peaceful and where there's refreshments. In the same way, your job is to prepare your room your mind, and then jhanas will come in all by themselves. So your job, with you get to the, the breath, the full attention on the breath, is to develop the beautiful breath. Developing the beautiful breath is just being satisfied with the breath which is right there now. From satisfaction comes contentment. And from contentment comes this ease. And from that ease comes the happiness. The last couple of days, when I was meditating, I remembered many years ago when I was a student at Cambridge, before the exams, when I should have been studying, I went off with a friend of mine on a punt down the river on a wonderful sunny afternoon. I think it was just the sunshine in the afternoon, which just reminded me. And I remember a comment by my friend at the time. Even though we were supposed to be studying, it was such a beautiful afternoon in the English countryside. He said, at this moment, I don't want to be anywhere else in the whole world, except just right here. I've always remembered that comment as my definition of contentment. At this moment, I don't want to be anywhere else in the whole world except with this breath, this part of the breath happening in this moment. And if you can develop that sort of contentment, then you find that the beauty comes all by itself. And the breath turns into a very beautiful and easy breath. If, however, instead of being in the boat, you want to go to the tea house at the end of the river to get your Devonshire teas, then you're not content at all. There's no way the meditation can deepen. You have to have that degree of contentment with the breath. You don't want to go anywhere else, be anywhere else. Just be right here in this moment with this breath. Only then can the contentment deepen to get to the beautiful breath. And when that beautiful breath is there, it's just so wonderful, so lovely. I don't want to do anything, be anywhere. 
other than just with this beautiful breath in the moment. Just stopping the doer. Stopping trying to get something else, change something, go somewhere, be something. Just giving up the movement of the mind to somewhere else. This is the illusion which creates craving that somewhere else, something else, will be happiness. That's the illusion which creates craving. But we stop that craving by realizing that just being here, contentment, the absolute opposite of craving, creates such happiness, such peace. It's the peace of not having to do anything. It's the stillness of not having to go anywhere, but just being still, right here, with the beautiful breath. If you just stay with the beautiful breath and develop contentment within it, and that beauty will grow and grow and grow. And as it grows and grows and grows, nimitas will come up just by themselves. When a nimitta comes up just by itself, just be content with what's happening and don't try and do anything. Sometimes when a nimitta comes up, people have the Confusion, should I go on to the nimitta, should I stay with the breath? Already, by making that question, you've missed the point. Already, as soon as that question comes up, it means the mind has been disturbed. Be quiet, shut up, and let the mind do it by itself. If the mind wants to go to the nimitta, it will do. If the mind wants to stay with the breath, it will do. Leave it all alone. You'll find that the mind will want to go where it finds deeper peace and happiness. That's why that if you develop the aspiration for contentment, the movement towards stillness, these, I know these are all oxymorons, but you can understand what I'm talking about. Just being peaceful. Then these things will happen by themselves. Nimitas just come up. As I mentioned in a previous talk, that nimitta is not outside the beautiful breath. It's right in the heart of the beautiful breath. Right in the very middle. Sometimes that's why people can't find it, because they're looking somewhere else for the nimitta. They're wondering, when will the nimitta come up? When will it arise? When it's right there in the middle of what they're already doing. So just allow the breath to settle down. Because with contentment, with this sense of, of not doing, when things start to calm and settle down, things start to disappear. When you start to talk about letting go, it means allowing things to disappear. Allowing things to cease. Observing stoppings. Things which once were fade and disappear. In this particular case, what disappears is the five senses. 
the five senses of sight, sound, smell, taste and physical touch. If you do a lot of meditation and at the end of the meditation you do your assessing and reflecting, you will find that that beautiful breath is just very, very refined and subtle touch consciousness. Sound, sight, smell and taste have all gone. They've stopped, they've ceased. Afterwards, you look, where, were they there at all? And you can't find them anywhere in that experience of beautiful breath. Well, you can see there, though, it still is a physical touch there. Only very slightly, very subtly, almost disappeared, but still working. What you notice, again, not at the time, at the time you're gathering information, don't go around assessing at the time. Afterwards, when you reflect at the end of the meditation about what's happened, you find that why the nimitta arises is because the sense of physical touch finally stops. If you know that nimitta very well, you know at that time when the nimitta is manifesting, you aren't seeing anything, smelling anything, hearing anything, tasting anything, or touching anything at all. Those five senses have finally stopped. That's why this is called Chitta Viveka. Viveka means like aloof, separated from. So mind separated from the body, from the five senses, like the moon separated from the clouds. It's why that people find it hard to understand what the Chitta is. As hard as it is, as hard as it is to know the moon when it's behind thick clouds. For once those five senses cease and stop, you've just got the, the nimitta in front of you. That's actually called the jitter. It's like looking in a lake at your own image. What you're seeing there is just a reflection of the mind. That's why if the mind becomes excited at this point, then so does the nimitta. If the, the mind has fear at this point, so does the nimitta, and the nimitta flees. What you're watching at, watching, is just the jitter itself. It's a reflection. That's why when you play with the nimitta, you're just playing with the jitter. And you can understand just how to make that nimitta still is by making the jitter still. This thing which is doing the knowing, make that still and the nimitta becomes still. That thing which is doing the knowing, make that excited and the nimitta becomes excited. Make it afraid and the nimitta runs away. These, as I said before, are the two main obstacles to gaining deep meditation, fear and excitement. It's as if the doer has been subdued, but it hasn't been subdued well enough. 
that fear and excitement is just controlling again. That's why with a lot of practice, with especially a lot of practice getting to that stage of the beautiful breath, or even just to the limiter, just keeping the limiter there and don't worry about getting any deeper. Just that much is overcoming the tendency for the doer to wake up again right at the very last and mess things up, mess things up. Another way of overcoming that fear or overcoming that excitement again is to earlier on give trust to the nimitter, full trust to the nimitter, giving at the same time full trust to the jitter. You're saying, nimitter, that you know how to do this the doer, it's called awija, is stupidity, it's illusion, it's deceit, this awija. Give confidence instead to this pure jitta, which is there before you. And if you do that, it's as if you're giving the reins to something else, not to you, but to something more pure. If you fully can give that confidence to this process, to the nimitta or to the jitta, whichever you wish to call it, then you find that the process is freed from the doer and it can just go on and happen by itself. Remember, even at this stage, the deepening of the meditation relies upon contentment, relies upon stillness, relies upon peace. So you got so far, you've got the nimitta come up in the mind. Don't make the same mistakes which you've been making for so many years, which stopped you getting the nimitta. You've done it right so far. You've got the nimitta up now. How did that nimitta arise? What did you have to do? Basically, you had to shut up, stop controlling let go. So carry on, shutting up, not controlling, just being at peace, developing contentment and satisfaction. Don't go and mess it up and try a different course. And if you can just continue with the confidence in the process of letting go, then you'll find that limiter will become very brilliant and bright and beautiful or however it appears. You have either the experience of the nimitta enveloping you, you going right inside, or you just falling inside. Whatever way, just let these things happen by themselves. Whatever you're experiencing, don't try and assess because you'll break the jhana. Just have again this full confidence in the process. If you do have fear the first time you get close to a jhana, at least know afterwards, even though that you realize you blew it. Please also know that even the Lord Buddha was afraid of that happiness and pleasure which is of the jhanas. So know that you are in, in such company but the Lord Buddha overcame that fear through trust.
he called that the way to Bodhi, the way to enlightenment. And that much should encourage you to have trust in that which you see right in front of you, the beautiful bliss in the limiter. Just allow you this, these things to happen. Let go. If throughout the meditation you've develop, been developing this inclination of the mind to abandon, not to do, not to accumulate, but to get rid of burdens. You may be fortunate enough to notice as you go into a jhana, you may be fortunate to notice the mind continue to abandon burdens. In the first jhana, there will be some lingering movement of the mind. If you ask yourself afterwards, you cannot ask yourself within a jhana. If you ask yourself afterwards, what was the object of my, my, my mindfulness? Of what was I aware in the first jhana? The only answer which can come up is bliss. I've given the simile, which was it's going to be in the next issue of the newsletter, of the Cheshire Cat. Those of you who don't know that simile, I'll just tell it very quickly. It was actually with the Red Queen. I made a mistake in the newsletter article. I said it was the White Queen, where Alice saw this, this Cheshire Cat appear in the sky. It's a very beautiful image of a nimitta appearing in the mind. And the Cheshire cat is always smiling. And bit by bit, parts of the cat faded away into nothingness. The ears, the whiskers, the eyes, all of the head disappeared until there was just left the smile. A smile with no lips to do the smiling. No mouth left. No teeth. Just a smile. It's a very beautiful description of what happens when the nimitta disappears. All that's left is the smile of that nimitta. All that's left is the pity sukha, the bliss. That's only afterwards you can say that's what you were aware of. And to be a jhana, it has to be something which lasts for a long period of time. If it is the piti sukha of, say, first jhana, it's something which the mind will delight in. Actually, it's delighting in its own object. It will delight in it and stay there a long time. There will be some movement there. And that movement is just the mind going on to its object, still being unskillful with the, that pity sukha. Just like a person who is like driving a car, can't really relax and just uh, allow the driving to be natural. There's still that wanting the mind just holding on too hard to the piti sukha. And because of that holding on a bit too hard, which is the vichara, 
that the mind goes away, recedes. But the object is just too attractive and it pulls the mind back towards it, which is the vitaka. That's the vitaka and vichara, just the wobbling of the mind around the piti sukha. Sometimes it's hard to notice that until you can experience the next jhana or second jhana. In the next jhana there's no wobble left at all. It's very interesting to see that sometimes that in the suttas there's a stage between the first and the second jhanas where the vitaka is gone but still the vichara, as if you're still holding on to that piti sukha but not that hard that it moves away. It's as if the mind realizes it's got the object now and that's when it can let go of the vichara and then it has the piti sukha firmly in its grasp. In this stage of second jhana you've let go of that last movement of the mind. Why you let go of that is not because of some determination you make. You are not in control at this stage. If you are in any type of control it's a sure sign it's not a jhana. What's happening here is the mind just realizes that this is a disturbance and it does it by itself. It makes that transition from the first jhana to the second jhana all by itself. Sometimes it's just like the, the, the first jhana deepening and then it, it, it becomes a second jhana. When I gave the simile last week of Chinese boxes, one box being in the, the previous one, this happens in jhanas as well. The second jhana is right within that first jhana. It's just a matter of, of allowing the mind to notice within that room there is another room. Within that second room there is another room. Within each room rather than adjacent to it. In that second jhana state, the reason why there is a full one-pointedness of mind is because the mind has got such confidence it does not need to do anything. That's why that factor of the second jhana, ajatang sampasadhanang, it's like complete confidence inside. It with itself. In the first jhana, that complete confidence is not there. It's partial confidence, which is why the mind is wobbling. There's still a little bit to let go of. Once the last bit is let go of, then appears the second jhana. In that second jhana, there is no movement at all. That's why the meditators who experience that state will compare it to like being a rock, stone, solid. That's where you can really understand what samadhi truly means. 
where it's coming to one peak of experience. You go to the top of the mountain, everything comes to one point at the top. And that point does not move, does not change. This is where the mind has one experience, unchanging, unmoving, for a long period of time. This is why it becomes very clear why there cannot be any chedana, which is just a movement of mind. Chedana is the word for will. Why there can't be any thought. The mind is completely delighting in itself, completely caught up and absorbed, bound up in its own bliss. Unable to be called, to be woken, to be disturbed, And when you say it's effortless, it's obviously there's no effort can be made in those stages. That's why it's called like samadhi. And it's why that afterwards if you come out from a state like that and you look back and what was that like? It's a different type of bliss. In Pali they call it samadhija, piti sukha. The bliss which is born of samadhi the bliss which is born of being one-pointed, of not having to have this disturbance of movement, of change, of things coming and going. You know that the Buddha said, what is anicca, that's dukkha. What is impermanent, they say, is dukkha. People can chant that, but they don't really know it. If you can, stop impermanence for a couple of hours in second jhana then you'll know why what is anichang that's dukkha because when anicca stops there is a huge relief of course this is not full stopping of anicca but it's pretty close. And here you're developing that stillness, that peace of mind of the second jhana. You're letting go of a lot of disturbance which most people in the world would not even consider in their wildest imagination to be a disturbance. Movement of mind. And if again, that you've decided or that you have had the inclination to abandon, 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 then you may have the possibility of abandoning even more and just watching that second jhana just deepen. Deepen as the object of mind becomes more refined. Instead of just a pity sukha, just come up to an ease, a happiness, which you cannot imagine or describe. It's the happiness of the third jhana. Sometimes that people write books and essays about the meaning of pity and the meaning of sukha, what, which one means which. 
But I always say that only if you have an experience of third jhana can you know what is pity and what is sukha. Not according to etymology or Pali, but according to experience. These things are experiential knowledge and you know what sukha is. Because pity and sukha go together like twins, almost inseparable, so much so that you can hardly tell one from the other. It's only when the third jhana arises you can actually distinguish them as one of the twins fades away and disappears and then you know the other one which is Sukha you take those jhanas even further letting go of more and more and more see if you can gain the fourth jhana where if the person if you ask yourself when you emerge from those states, what was that I was aware of in that state? Still the rock-like samadhi with a sense of very profound equanimity and the most powerful mindfulness. But these are stages which you have to know for yourself. What I want to say here is that these are achieved by the ability to completely abandon burdens and to let them go, to recognize them and to release them from the mind's grip. To get the deeper jhanas, the mind needs to be that much more uh, skillful, uh, wise, and that inclination, that leading, that tendency to abandon and let go needs to be that much more sharp. You, as I said here many times, you can practice that letting go, abandoning in your daily life. Because quite frankly, if you can't let go of material things, then you've got no chance of letting go of those refined things to gain a jhana. If you can't let go of silly little personal ideas and tendencies which stop you being a good monk, then it's a waste of time even trying to get to let go of these very refined things which will allow you to get into jhana. That's why the Buddha gave this gradual training. Training in virtue, training in sense restraint, training in, in santuti, is contentment with little, with few possessions, little arms, food, little sleep, little talking, little doing. All these things lead up to the abandonment of the hindrances, to letting go into jhanas. All these things lead up into letting go of the defilements. Because once a person emerges from jhana, or from any deep state of meditation, only then should you look back and ask, what was that? Not at the time. That's why I encourage in this monastery people to train themselves. Whatever meditation stages you're going through, 
at the time don't assess them, but put aside two or three minutes at the end of each meditation. No matter if the meditation is, is just ordinary or even worse than ordinary, just the last two or three minutes, just stop and reflect on what has happened and what that was and why. So you get into the habit of believing such assessing until the very end. And if you create that habit, train yourself in that way, then when a jhana happens, then that habit will be repeated. And you'll look and see, what was that? Where did that come from and why? Not only will you gain an understanding of what these jhanas truly are, you'll also gain the understanding of how they come about, of how much letting go, how much abandonment has to be done. You get an understanding of the reward of such abandonment. And just gaining a jhana for the first time and doing that little bit of reflection will give you incredible encouragement to continue that abandoning, renunciation, letting go of all of those attachments which create so much suffering for you in your life. Trouble is with our attachments and tendencies. We, on the surface, we know they create suffering, but deep down we don't really accept that. That's why we continually carry them around. If completely, deep down, we knew that these attachments were causing us problems, they would disappear right there and then. The thing is that we say on the surface, yeah, you know, eating too much, sleeping too much, thinking this, going here, yeah, this is dukkha, but we still do it. We still worry. We still fantasize. We still argue. We still proliferate in our minds. So only when at the end of a very deep meditation, you look back and see the result of letting go. There's an experience of bliss, and that will give you the encouragement. That will just put everything in perspective. All of this worldly stuff, even in a monastery such as this, there's so much worldly stuff, you wouldn't believe it. All this worldly stuff, just what a waste of time. Compared to the bliss of jhanas, compared to seeing what the Buddha was pointing to, renunciation, letting go, that peace, that stillness, puts things in perspective. And straight away a lot of the coarser defilements or rather the coarser habits get very discouraged. The more that you can enter into that jhana, the more that the mind will turn away from the world and turn to that which the Lord Buddha called Sambodhi Sukha, the bliss of enlightenment.
what he called these jhanas, Nekama Sukha, the happiness or the bliss of enunciation, Pawiwaka Sukha, the happiness of aloofness, Sambodhi Sukha, bliss of enlightenment, Upasama Sukha, the bliss of peace. This is what we're aspiring towards and this is the result. By gaining these jhanas it makes it possible to turn away from the sensory world. As the Lord Buddha said to Mahanama in the Chula Dukkha Kanda Sutta, the person does not know that happiness of jhanas. They will not be able to turn away from sensuality. that your monkhood or nunhood is not secure. That you could very easily fall in love, disrobe, and do all sorts of things. If a person does not know that happiness of jhanas, that they can turn to the sensory world, the Lord Buddha said in the Chula Dukkha Kanda Sutta, to Mahanama. But if you know that happiness, just all those attractions, just they pale. You've got a perspective on them. But more than that, more than that, those jhanas give a strength of mind. The hindrances are overcome through jhana practice, as in the Nalakapana Sutta that if a person practices those jhanas then the five hindrances together with arati and tandi those five hindrances do not invade the mind and remain but if you don't know those happiness of jhanas the five hindrances invade the mind and remain after a jhana the mind is free of those hindrances that's why it's easy to look back upon that state with clarity and gain a lot of insights from it. Not just the insight of what was that and why was that, what brought it about, but also the insight into anicca, as I just mentioned. Insight into anatta, the doer has gone. Much of consciousness has gone. You've seen, seen the jitta, and all this talk, even in this monastery. Now is there an original jitta? Does the jitta of the Arahat survive the Parinibbana? Don't even talk like that if you haven't seen a jitta yet. Basically you don't know what you're talking about. If you've seen that jitta, seen it many times, you know it very well then perhaps what you say has got some meaning. This is the insight which comes as a result of these stages of meditation. If you know that jitta, you know very clearly about how rebirth happens, karma. Also, if you look very carefully, you know how the jitta is the house builder, 
how it's created all this samsara. Last week I told you about how perception creates the world. I'm encouraging you to use the perception of emptiness. At least you're creating a world which is closer to the Dhamma, closer to the truth. See even the jitta as an empty ball. Nothing there. Rajan Chah once told me, I just had a very good meditation. And I was walking because he was came to Wat Nanachat for sauna. Lots of monks looking after him. So after doing the duties to him and my teacher, and I went behind the hall and just sat meditation for half an hour. And afterwards I went looking for Ajahn Chah, see if I could be of greater service to him. Of course I was very rarely of service to him at all, he was of service to me. And he was coming in the opposite direction with a couple of lay people. He'd just finished his sauna, I was too late. I think I must have been sitting much longer than half an hour, I forget now. But he obviously saw that I had a very nice meditation. That's when he came up to me and gave me an Ajahn Chah look piercing and said Brahma Wangsa Tammai which means why I didn't know the answer at the time so he told me it said the answer to that question is my me awry there's nothing this is what you can see in deep meditation when you let go of things it means things disappear the more you let go, the more things disappear. When you get into jhanas, already a heap has disappeared. The deeper you go in those jhanas, the more disappears. If you can go all the way into Nirodha Samapati, everything disappears. That's when you really know, my me arai, there's nothing. Why the Lord Buddha said the destruction of the asavas depends upon jhanas. So please develop those jhanas. Or should I say, please just let go of everything. Develop a mind of abandoning. Develop a mind which wants to give away give away, give away, until it gives everything away. Even the person listening to this, it gives away. Even the thing saying this, it gives away. It gives away the whole of samsara. Just follow the way of cessation. The more which ceases, the more bliss, the more profound, the more dhamma. Well, that's, I think, all I wish to say this evening. Please, if you don't mind, I won't open it up for questions this evening. Just do a hand on my hand.